Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. We're back from Boston. Wasn't cheap getting up there, wasn't cheap getting back, but we, we've spent our money, and we have information, and we will give it to you. Uh, we'll get into that matchup. We'll talk about how some of the younger players stepped up in that game. Uh, we'll... And then we'll take a step back and kind of look at the first half of the regular season as a whole, give out some grades, um, name some MVPs on both sides of the ball, and we'll end it with predictions outside of Virginia Tech because Virginia Tech doesn't play this week, but we always end with predictions, so we'll do that again this week with some different uh, matchups. Andy, um, Virginia Tech gets the victory 23-10. to I think we both enjoyed our stay in Boston, and Boston uh, College is a very – amenable place to go and work uh we wrote quite a bit up there uh what was your overall impression of the game itself uh, i know you know it was to me i thought it was kind of never in doubt but i mean did you did you enjoy the game did you think it was any good what did you or was it was it lame how'd you feel well to get our money's worth on this podcast we're going to go for three hours uh, <laughs> for, for what we spent in boston this weekend a little pricey with the red Sox in town uh i thought it was a nice win. I know a lot of people are going to come down hard on this game, and uh, you know it wasn't a thing of beauty. This is not going to be one they're going to put in the Louvre uh, as a work of art or anything like that. But uh, you look at the big picture; it was a road win, comfortable road win against a team that they should beat. I never really felt like they were in danger of losing this game. Uh, you know, once they were up by two touchdowns, I, I just it, like okay, this game's over. So really, after that, I didn't pay too much attention to. Uh, you know, how close things are going to be. And, you know, the Boston College had to run a trick play at the end to even get in the end zone. So, uh, you know, it, it didn't really surprise me that they could maybe pulled back a little bit and shut, you know, shut things down offensively and weren't too, you know, cutthroat and going for the jugular, whatever phrase you want to use for that, because uh, they didn't really need to do all that to win that game. So, uh, yeah, you can nitpick that one and say things weren't pretty and it was uh, not the greatest uh uh, win in terms of a uh, work of art, but you know they won the game. They're five and one. They get to the the bye week. Uh, you know I think that's pretty much what you ask of a team in that situation. Yeah, they were supposed to win and they did, and it was in stark contrast to their uh, trip up north last year, where they went to Syracuse, where they were expected to win handily, and they struggled the entire game and ended up losing. Uh, I think you know this this is a black and white kind of business uh, when you go on road trips and and. You know, Boston College is not very good right now. Uh, they weren't very good uh, last year against Virginia Tech either. But it's still, you know, it's still a, an ACC football team that you got to go and, and 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 take care of. What are the people complaining about when they when they, you know, on your blog and stuff? I mean, what are they saying that they they wanted to see that they didn't see? Just an out and out destruction like last year? Yeah, I think the hope is that they always go out there and just utterly dominate a game. And, uh, you know, I think performances like they had last year against Boston College where it was 49 nothing, and, and just sort of everything went Tech's way in that game. They had a, a punt return for a touchdown, I believe. Did, was that the game Stroman had one? Maybe I'm confusing that with ECY. I, I can't remember exactly. They sort of got it rolling there early with some, uh, you know, special teams defensive uh, plays that, that turned that game into a, a lopsided affair. Uh, this one, you know, I think people look at the 109 rushing yards, and they go, oh, that was against a team that was giving up 259 coming into the game. They should have run the ball better than that. Well, they threw for 322, 
uh, and they did that against a team that was the ACC's top-ranked passing defense. Uh, and that wasn't just because teams had run all over BC this year. They had the top uh, passer efficiency rating against as well. So, uh, you know, it, maybe uh, the Hokies didn't win this game the way that the fans wanted them to win this game. They wanted them to go in there and establish the run and just push BC around and play physical like that. Well, they did it a different way. They, they threw the ball, uh, surprisingly, without Cam Phillips in the lineup because he gets hurt uh, uh, and still controlled the game pretty well. So, didn't really manage those defensive ends that Boston College has very well. I think that was something that really showed up in that game. Uh, those are pretty good defensive ends, though. Yeah. I, I will say, I mean, Harold Landry got all the pubs. Zach Allen was just as good in that game. I mean, if he, I think Landry had the three sacks. Zach Allen had uh, at least one sack and some tackles for loss. Had the tip pass for the touchdown. He had 14 tackles in that game. I mean, I don't know if they'll face defensive ends that good this year. And, and that maybe includes the Clemson group. I and mean, Clemson has better defensive tackles, so as a whole, that defensive line is better. But uh, just from the defensive end spots, I think BC could compete with, with anybody in the ACC. So uh, that was problematic. They had to deal with that. You know, they got down the red zone a couple times and couldn't punch it in. I think that that's maybe where some of that anger bubbles up from the fans about not being, having that killer instinct and going in to, to, to put the game away. But... Uh, again, just they, they were never in doubt uh, to lose this game. They go up there, they have a pretty good defensive performance. Joey Sly looked better and you know breaks the scoring record. Not saying he made long field goals, but he made the short field goals true. And you know he hadn't been doing that this season. So all in all, I think it was a pretty successful trip. Well, as we walked out of there, I, you and I were talking, and I, I said, "Well, didn't you think Fuente was awful upbeat for that?" That you know, rather tepid performance. You know, he opened his press conference by saying, "I'm tickled to death." And you said, "Well, that seems to be his mo. That he just kind of always pulls back towards the middle. If they have a really great game. He's pointing out some little uh, thing they did wrong. And if they have a, a a game where they don't look all that sharp, at least all the way through, he's gonna praise them to death to make them, you know." pull him back up towards that medium yeah i think he has a good sense of what the public's reaction is going to be to a performance mm -hmm. uh, he knows and everybody's gonna be patting him on the back and saying that's a great game and, and all that stuff and he knows when uh maybe they didn't play their best and they'll probably hear about it but there were some circumstances they had to deal with in terms of injuries and the road environment and a pretty good defense that you know they handled it maybe they'll get overshadowed by the fact that they didn't go up there and blow out boston college so uh, pretty good idea in his mind, I think, of, of what this team needs to hear at certain points. Uh, even after a game like the Clemson game, where that wasn't a good performance, he he sort of called it like it was. Uh, you know, you know, he said before the game, people are going to be telling you, you're all great if you win this game, you're all terrible if you lose this game. Well, you just have to focus ahead at the next game and just sort of be even keel. That's that's sort of his whole mindset about things, and he's true to that after every game. It seems like. Yeah, you talked about the passing production, and and we'll get into the young players who stepped up here in a second. But I think we we don't want to bury the lead on, when we're talking about this group because uh, Sean Savoy, one of the receivers, uh, lost his brother. Uh, what are the details of of what what do you know about uh, about that situation? Uh, his brother Omar uh, was shot in Washington D.C. It was at, I think it was a couple hours after the game Saturday, early Sunday morning. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when Sean found out about it. Uh, police found him in a vehicle at a gunshot wound. They took him to the hospital, and he was pronounced dead there. Uh, incredibly sad news about that. I mean, it was just such a, you know, 
uplifting game for for Sean to go out there and sort of have a breakout performance, nine catches, 139 yards, and a touchdown, and then to be hit with that kind of news the next day has to be just you know completely jarring. I mean that that kind of news turns your world upside down at that point. Uh, you, you look at the outpouring of support that you know I've seen on Twitter from people about this this news, his teammates tweeting stuff. Uh, Justin Fuente put out a, a statement you know, offering condolences from Virginia Tech. I think he's got a very strong support system uh, in Blacksburg and with this team and, and everybody associated with the Hokies, but uh, it's still just got to be an impossibly tough thing to go through at that age to, to suffer that kind of loss. Yeah, and I know Sean tweeted that uh, his brother was his biggest supporter, his biggest fan. Uh, certainly terrible news, and, and our condolences go out to him for sure. Uh, you know, certainly a, a far down the list of significance, but his his play in that game was uh, pretty eye opening as well. I mean, you mentioned what nine catches, 130 something yards, uh, and and they needed it. Um, talk about his performance in specifically in that game because uh, Cam went out pretty early in that game. Yeah, it wasn't just Cam Phillips getting injured, and that you know that happened early, and that was sort of everybody's worst fear at the start of the season is, you know, what, who do they go to if Phillips gets hurt? And that became more pronounced as you see Cam was tied for third nationally in receiving yards coming into the game, uh, sort of been the go-to guy for the Hokies uh, throughout the season. Uh, CJ Carroll did not make the trip. He had a foot injury uh, from the sounds of it. It's, it's something that's kind of sort of bothered him for a while. I know he, I think he had surgery uh, last spring and had to sit out the spring. I don't know if it's the same foot or the same issue, but it sounds like it might be. Uh, those are the two veteran guys of this receiving core, and uh, to date, uh, you know, be- before the Boston College game, Savoy had been the most reliable third target in that receiving core. Uh, I think he was the second leading receiver coming to the game. He's, he's probably still there after the big game that he had. Uh, had scored a couple touchdowns against Clemson. I know they came late. Uh, that 30-yard touchdown they caught came late, not against the, the tightest coverage, but he's proven to be a playmaker and somebody that, uh, you know, the game is not overwhelming to him at this point it's, it's not like he's a he, he's not acting like a freshman when he's out there it's not like he's looking lost or anything like that uh sort of got the offense going in that game uh, had a 53 yard touchdown that was the first points of the game where really nice throw from josh jackson sort of zipped it into the zone it looked like a pretty tight coverage and hit savoy right in stride he was off to the races with that uh had another one later where it was sort of a busted coverage and he got wide open down the field for a 40 some yard gain you know, afterwards he was sort of lamenting the fact that he didn't make one cut and come back to the middle and, and maybe try to score on it. He kind of danced around a little bit, but uh, to get that kind of production out of that guy, and it sounds like Phillips is going to be fine and come back. Uh, I would assume Carroll's going to be fine after two weeks uh, with the bye week here. To have those two and then add Savoy to the mix, where he's been pretty liable consistently, that that's a big boon to this offense that he's playing like that. Yeah, I wrote about Jackson for my follow-up column, and I mentioned that touchdown connection that you were describing uh, with Savoy, and it was a perfect throw on a skinny post over a linebacker and between two defensive backs. But Savoy still had to bring that in. You know, he had to reach out a little bit because uh, it was thrown in the perfect spot for him to be the only guy who could catch it and he made that catch and then he showed a really nice burst getting up the field as soon as he caught it and so neither of those defensive backs had a shot at him uh, really good play all around and he wasn't the only one uh, well he had a he, he was kicking himself from before because he had a drop on the previous yeah. drive the opening drive where he kind of turned up field before uh he had secured the ball so i think to come back and make that play on that catch uh securing it like he did and then taking off down the field i think that was a pretty pretty good turnaround uh, just from that early mistake yeah and those are moments 
you know, if he doesn't catch that 53 yard or if he drops that pass or something, you know, the, those are the moments that you lament when you look back at uh, surprising losses. You know, you say, well, what happened here? Well, that was a touchdown that they didn't get, you know, but they got it. Um, and that was a really big one to just sort of uh, get them rolling offensively. Uh, but he wasn't the only one who had a nice game among the young players. Um, Kuma, uh, he, you know, Kuma looks like a tight end when you watch him from the press box. I mean, he's that big. Uh, I think he's like 220 pounds. He's a big receiver. But um, he was a key third down guy. Uh, what, what did you think of his performance? Uh, pretty impressed by it because to date he had not really done a whole lot and not had many opportunities. I think I think he's been nicked up a little bit, maybe not quite 100%. But he had four catches the other night, and all four were on third downs that moved the chains. Uh, one of them in particular sticks out in my mind. He was uh, coming across the middle. Uh, you know, Jackson hits him in stride and <laughs> led him right into the safety who just popped him. I mean, he just popped him. And he didn't go down. He didn't drop the ball. He bounced off of it, uh, went on for a 22-yard gain. Uh, you know, I think he was he was joking on Twitter. He's like, when when Josh ja- Joshy Jack or whatever Jackson's Twitter handle is uh, <laughs> sets you up or something like that, it shows the safety just like lowering his shoulder into his midsection across the middle like that. Uh, he can kind of laugh about it. That's sort of his role. Is he like you said? He's a bigger guy. He can be a physical guy like that across the middle. He can go up and make a play. They talked about him in the off season about you know making those sort of jump ball plays down the field. And you know, I have to wonder. Uh, is that a pass that normally in that situation would have gone to Cam Phillips? Uh, I mean, he's been the guy on third down that they've targeted like that. He's been the go-to guy, and you wondered with him not in the game who would make that play. So that's why I think it was really critical to see uh, Kuma take a step forward like that. Uh, they're going to need more guys like that step up and play to that level, and uh, just a encouraging sign overall to see him do that. Yeah, and Henry Murphy is a familiar name. I mean, he's been around, but uh, three catches for 40 yards, including a 26-yard uh, catch. Uh, you know, nice to see him get involved as well, I'm sure. Yeah, Dalton Keene had four catches for 66 yards. Uh, you know, these are all guys that are pretty inexperienced. I mean, Savoy, true freshman. Dalton Keene, true freshman. Uh, Kuma's a sophomore. Henry Murphy's a junior, but he was a junior college guy who, who came in, played briefly last year. I mean, these are not uh, established guys that have this long track record of, of being successful. And to see them sort of take that next step and in a game where it was really – you know, I use the analogy uh, you know, on my thing, sort of taking the training wheels off and like pushing your kid down the street. Like, here you go. You're on your own. Are you going to you know, fall into the grass or, or keep pedaling like this? Uh, you know, that's uh, an important thing that they stepped up to the challenge and performed pretty well, because that's been that's been the question about this receiving core the whole time is, yeah, they have a first couple guys, but uh, they wonder, can you get to five or six deep of guys that you're trusting? Yeah, and Keene also had a very nice block on Trayvon McMillan's touchdown run. Uh, I mentioned that the lineman had, had opened a nice big hole on the left side, but uh, I quickly got responses from a lot of um, readers, Twitter users, who said, hey, you know, don't forget about Keene. He made a, he made one of the blocks that sprung that play. And that was a good play to see because you're right. I mean, they didn't run the ball for a ton, um, and that was a very fertile Boston College defense, at least uh, coming into that game, to run the ball against. But there was one young player who really didn't get a chance to shine. Andy, do you know who that is? No, but I have a feeling you're going to tell me right here. That's right. It's time for the Pimpleton Minute. 
and I'm mad. <laughs> Why are you mad? Well, this is an opportunity. You know, when Cam goes out, this is an opportunity for, for Pimp to get in there, get some minutes. Real deal, Khalil. I'm waiting for – I mean, he did get in there. He wasn't targeted. Um, I'm just I'm, – I'm getting a little discouraged, Andy. Make me feel better. You're getting discouraged by the fact that you've set up this year-long <laughs> segment of the podcast. are getting discouraged, yes, that <laughs> this is going to continue. You know, he, he and uh, Hezekiah Grimsley both played, uh, didn't have many targets, but they were in there. I mean, they, they really, uh, you know, the Hokies really didn't have a choice. I mean, you're losing two veteran guys like that early. You're going to have to ask those guys to step in and play. Uh, you know, not everything about receivers getting targeted. I think that's the, the thing that Fuente and his coaches have tried to instill with these players is you need to do all the other things that come with receiver. It's not just going out and catching routes. You have to block and, and be in the right spot and all that stuff. So uh, I'm sure that's still coming along for those young guys. Uh, maybe not everybody can handle it as, as quickly as Sean's voice seems to have done so in the receiving core. But uh, you know, they also played uh, Drake DeUlius, I think is how you pronounce his name. Another tight end uh, burned his red shirt and curious and asking Fuente about that tomorrow. Uh, when we have the the press conference about why doing that so late, uh, but you know they're they're going to rely on those young guys and have to continue to bring them along uh, the rest of the season. Yeah. Well, Tech moves to five and one, one and one in the conference, and I think that's pretty much the best people were hoping for. I mean, I think there were some quixotic dreams of, of beating Clemson, um, but when that didn't happen. Um, you know, to win all the rest of them, I wrote a little bit about the night of the game. You know that these are the predicted outcomes. That, that if you extrapolate what Fuente says about wanting predicted outcomes, he's getting predicted outcomes in the actual games themselves, not just his quarterback play. Uh, what do you think about where Tech is at this time and and just their overall position in the Coastal Division? Yeah, I, I, like you said, I think five and one at this point with a loss to Clemson was about the best you could hope for. And I know there was some pie-in-the-sky dreams of beating the Tigers, and maybe that was uh, more of a thought before it turns out that Clemson is still really, really good this <laughs> yeah, year. I mean, you know, you come into the year and you go, they lose to Sean Watson. Who, who knows how that offense is going to go? The offense doesn't seem to have missed too much of a beat. Uh, you know, they lose some defenders. They just plug defenders in. That defensive line is incredible. Uh, they've gone on the road and beaten all these teams uh, in their place. So, you know, Clemson is that legit good. Uh, I don't look at that loss and say, oh, that was unexpected or anything like that. So 5-1 and one at the midway point of the season. They've beaten the ACC team they should have. They've lost to the one that they probably should have in this situation. All six of the Coastal games ahead of them. Uh, you know, I, I look at the standings. I see Miami and Georgia Tech. It's really the teams that I would consider the, t- the two contenders along with Virginia Tech in that division. Uh, Miami got over that Florida State hurdle. I know it's not the FSU of the past, but it's still something that's been a tripping point for them over the years. And, you know, Virginia Tech's lost a crossover game to Clemson. Georgia Tech uh, also plays Clemson. I would imagine that would be a loss for the Yellow Jackets. Who knows how that plays out? But uh, just in that sense, that would be a leg up for Miami because now – if you're Virginia Tech, you really can't go down there and lose to Miami and still expect to win the division. You have to win that. Uh, you'd have that head-to-head tiebreaker. If you lose, you're already down in the tiebreaker, plus you have an extra loss from having already played Clemson and losing. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of football to be played, but I think it's going to come down to those three teams. Uh, Georgia Tech and Miami play this week. That'll be, you know, that's 
great timing for me to be able to sit and watch that game on yeah. Saturday, uh, kind of get a scouting report on how these other two top coastal contenders are going to do. But uh, I think it's going to come down to those three because you look at the rest of the have a tougher road ahead. Uh, Pittsburgh, uh, Duke is much. You know, I thought Duke was improved, but they're not quite there. It looks like Pittsburgh's been awful. UNC has been just a disaster so far this year. So. Uh, really sort of a top half of the, the coastal and the bottom half, and, and then maybe UVA right there in the middle. I'm looking at the standings here. Georgia Tech's given up – excuse me, Miami's given up 69 points in four games. Georgia Tech's only given up 76 in, in five games. Or, excuse me, they've only played four, too. But one of those games was, a, what, they gave up like 40 points against Tennessee. So they 42 were, to Tennessee, and that went to overtime. Too, yeah, so. so they've been playing really good defense as of late. We'll talk a little bit more about Virginia at the end because we're, I think we're going to pick the uh, Virginia-UNC game as one of our two uh, picks that we, we do. But, um, you know, right now the Cavaliers are ahead of the Hokies in the in the division, you know, 1-0 and having beaten Duke and, and having a very winnable game this weekend. Um, they could move to 2-0 and as well. So, um you know, Tech's got work to do. I mean, whoever wins that Miami-Georgia Tech game is going to be in a nice perch, um, and that will be the one that uh, you'll look at and say Tech's going to have to win that game whenever they go down there. Yeah, and I think the schedule still plays to Virginia Tech's advantage here a little bit. They get North Carolina and Duke before they have back-to-back at Miami at Georgia Tech. So uh, while we've been saying this is still a pretty young team over the time, they still have another two games at home where they'll be able to sort of prepare this team more and, and bring them along in their development before they have to go into those difficult road games. Now, I'm not saying, you know, those are just two gimme wins. North North, North Carolina maybe more so than Duke. Uh, North Carolina is really uh, sort of just a mess right now. Yeah. Uh, no offensive direction, which is kind of strange for a Larry Fedora coach team. Uh, defense has been a struggle uh you know, every year that he's been down there, it seems like, and this year's no diff- no different, really. Uh, Duke is, is maybe always a tougher game than anticipated. The last four games have been won by the road team in that series, and and all have been by a field goal or less. So uh, that has been a very highly competitive game over the years. Uh, I would imagine Virginia Tech would be a, a healthy favorite in that game, but, but it's maybe going to be tighter than people might think. Mitch Trubisky made his first NFL start last night. Right? I watched that as a Vikings fan. I was forced to watch that. Who won? And it was, well, it was three to two at halftime. The Vikings <laughs> were leading, uh, and then they won late. Trubisky threw an interception, and the Vikings went down and kicked a field goal okay. with, with the immortal Case Keenum leading the way. It was really was not a great uh, highlight for either team. Although the Vikings did score a touchdown, and then they did a duck-duck-goose celebration in the end zone, uh-huh. which just exposed the fact that all Minnesotans call that game duck-duck-gray-duck. Oh, really? Did you know that? No, absolutely The not. only, like, you know how they do those, like, uh, you know, uh, regional phrases and stuff like that? Minnesota is the only state in the country <laughs> that calls it duck-duck-gray-duck for some reason instead of duck-duck-goose. That's really racist. Y'all need to it's clean not, it up up there. like... And the fact is, like, that is so odd to me as a Minnesotan that people would actually call it Duck Duck Goose. Like, that just sounds weird. Like, like, like you're the weird ones to me where it's, it's obvious that Minnesota is just the strange state in this whole thing. It's just one of the, it's like Wisconsin calls a water fountain a bubbler. Did you know that? No. They called it bubbler. There's a good website out there that shows, like, you know, different parts of the country what you're they call a, it. You're probably a pop guy, too, right? I was, and now I'm more, you know, I've lived in Virginia and the, the South since 2002, so okay. uh, I've come around on soda, but I go back home and it's like, what kind of pop do you want? It's, it's, squirt. it's very we strange. Squirt. Did you have squirt? We did have squirt, yes. Yeah. Can't find that down here, but I know my, my grandparents are 
live in Michigan and you can get all the squirts you want up there. <laughs> well, one of the bonuses of going to Michigan to visit. Well, midway we're at the midway point of the regular season, and this is a good time to pause and just uh, maybe look at how things have gone overall. Um, we mentioned we think this is about the best record you could have expected. Offensively, who would be your MVP for the first half? I mean, it has to be Cam Phillips, right? I mean, yeah, he got out to. Well, taking my, you're taking the the obvious answer is what I'm taking. I think you could take Jackson. You could, and I would I will give him an honorable mention for second place here. But I mean, Cam Phillips was uh, leading the country in receiving for a couple weeks there. Uh, still is up over whatever over 600 yards now. I think receiving. I, I think he's up to 608 with that catch that he had last week, and he only played like two drives in that before he got hurt. Uh, sounds like he's going to be okay, by the way, uh, from what Fuente has indicated after all this, uh, after the game and, and things like that. It's just a foot sprain, but he's sort of been the uh, the engine on that offense where he's been making plays downfield. He's been the reliable guy. Uh, if not for him in the passing game, I wonder how well Jackson would be doing right now if he was throwing to just those other guys. Obviously, he did well last week, but you know you're talking about week six versus the first five weeks where Cam was really the go-to guy. I've uh, just been really impressed by Phillips, how he's taken that number one receiver mantle and, and just run with it. Yeah, I mean, to me, it goes back to that opening game. And every time Jackson needed an outlet, he went to Cam Phillips. And just that level of comfort that Cam provided as Jackson was breaking in as a starter, I think makes him a clear runaway choice for this this award. And Jackson, you're right, gets he gets honorable mention because I think he's been, been very good. Um, you know, he's had... Three picks in the last, uh, well, four picks in the last three weeks. That's and then the one against uh, BC was tipped. Um, you know, one of those wasn't his fault. One is on the screen pass that Murphy, you know, popped off his hands right, right to Clemson for the touchdown. But you still look at 13 touchdowns, four interceptions right now. I think any Virginia Tech fan before the season would have taken those numbers through six games. He already has a freshman, a Virginia Tech freshman record for passing touchdowns. Michael Vick had the previous record with 12. Uh, which <laughs> during that season, that unbelievable season where he was, you know, arguably one of the best players in, in or arguably the best player in college football, uh, you know, depending on how you look at that Heisman Trophy vote, uh, the guy had 12 touchdowns for the entire season. Like yeah. that just shows you how much football has changed and how much of a unique athlete that Vic was that he could just completely impact a game with his athleticism and his running ability. Uh, with only throwing 12 touchdowns. I mean, some, some quarterbacks throw for that in two games now. Right. <laughs> it's, it's just amazing to me. Well, I think, you know, when, when Cam went down in that game in the first half against Boston College, <laughs> our discussion that we're having here now underscores just how scary that was for Virginia Tech fans. You said he, you think he's going to be okay, but, I mean, he was the runaway choice for this award. Jackson's number two, and then I mean, who's number three? Savoy? I don't, you know, is it McMillan? Who? Who? Maybe be? an offensive lineman. Yeah. I don't know. It's tough to grade right now. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd put maybe Savoy, and not certainly not any of the running backs. Yeah. Uh, you know, probably need none of the tight ends. I think Savoy's there. You know, Nijman Teller have been pretty good. I'd say I'm not the greatest judge of offensive line play, so it's tough to. To say Nijman had a, a rough afternoon, I think, last week uh, against those BCNs. Uh, yeah, it drops off quickly. It's, it's clearly a 1 and 1A one situation. Then you have to go down the list quite a way to get to, to number three there. Yeah. Okay, how about defensively? Who's your MVP? This is a tough one. I, I'm looking at the stats, and I don't want to base it strictly on the stats. I, I think I'd 
probably go with either Mook Reynolds or Ricky Walker hmm. or possibly Tim Settle. I think one of those two tackles, uh, I think those guys have been playing really, really well. You know, Mook has been up there in tackles in tackles for a loss on the team throughout the season. Uh, I just, you know, the coaches have repeatedly said Ricky Walker is this team's bell cow. And, and, you know, Tim Settle is kind of following along from Ricky's example on that. I would give it to Ricky Walker at this point, even though I think technically Settle has some better stats in terms of tackles for a loss. I'll go with Mook, I guess. You know, I know I know the coaches say that Ricky's the bell cow, but he, you know, and I guess he's tying up these these offensive linemen to allow, allow others behind him to make plays. That's really what his role is there. And, and you know, but because, um, you know, if you look at disruption plays, you know, he has, what, four tackles for loss. Um, Mook's got five. Yeah. Six, are you talking about Ricky? Six, I'm talking about Ricky. Yeah. Ricky, four. Six yeah. quarterback hurries. He leads the team in quarterback hurries. So no disrespect to Ricky, but I think um, – Mook being up there in tackles right right alongside Tremaine Edmonds there uh, is a big deal for, for that defense. Well, I mean, Edmonds and Matupawaka were guys that went over 100 tackles last year, and now Mook is right there with them halfway through the season. We, we talked to him last week, and he's like, you know, I kind of I look at the stats, and I'm like, I want to stay up there with those guys. That's like a goal. You know, you know, sometimes you ask guys, like, oh, do you ever look at your stats? Like, no, I never look at that. I never pay attention. Right. And you know they're lying. Right. You know that they look at it. Mook was just up front. He's like, oh, yeah, look at that. Like, I want to be up there in tackles with them. It's like my sister brings up tackle totals to me all the time. It's like, just let me know how I did in a certain game or something like that. So uh, I appreciate the honesty that <laughs> Mook Reynolds gave us during that interview. And, you know, right now he's got five tackles for a loss. That's second on the team to Tim Settle. Uh, you know, he's playing a, a, in a difficult spot on that defense where you have to be both a, a run stopper and a pass defender. I mean, you have to do both in that defense. It's really the hybrid position. And the fact that Mook is playing so well in that spot, I think, opens up this defense to do a lot of different things uh, creatively and, and not have to sub packages in and out just to get that one guy that can do a, a little bit extra on the field. Why are people afraid to mention their stats? Like, and why are they afraid to admit they look at them? Like, you know, especially in baseball, you know, I don't ever look at my average. I only see it as it happens to be up on that video screen and I have to see it. Well, you know, if your average is good, you're helping the team. Um, you know, like, I guess you don't want to sound like you're obsessed with, with your personal numbers and like it, it sounds selfish to be, but. Or maybe they're afraid they'll, something will happen like what happened with McMillan, where he puts a huge number out there, and then we're like, well, he didn't come anywhere close to that. But what, what are your thoughts? Why, why are people so? Why are athletes so afraid of that? I think there's been this notion out there that if you look at your stats, you're just a, a self-serving glory boy. You know, you're, you're just looking out for your own numbers and stuff like that. And if you're out there chasing tackles and stuff, maybe you're not playing within the responsibility of the defense. I, I think that's really drummed in their heads. Like it doesn't matter what you do statistically; it just matters how the team does defensively. Uh, I don't understand why that would be the case in baseball. Baseball is like the most individual one-on-one sport. Like your stats really, really matter. That's why people look at individual stats in baseball so much. Uh, football, I can understand it a bit more, just because there's such a, a team concept and working within. Uh, the framework of that. The success of a defense is not just based on whether one guy is making 100 tackles in a season. So uh, I guess I could understand that, but you know, I, I don't see any harm if you look at it and are happy about how you're playing or how you're doing statistically. If you know, As long as it's not like, oh, I have to get up to this certain benchmark. Uh, you know, I think sometimes you see that with sacks. 
Uh, people are like, oh, I want to get 10 sacks in the season. It's like, well, was he going out of his way and like getting out of his rushing lane to go after these sacks? I think that's where it becomes problematic. But most of the time, I, I think it's harmless. Yeah, and interceptions are so hard to you know get. You know, like you, you, there's so much flukiness involved. I think part of my coloring of my perspective there is I cover minor league baseball where you know development is key, and so the paradigm is all about process and all that stuff instead of. Uh, numbers, but when they look to move guys up to new levels, they definitely look at those numbers. And uh, if you have good ones, that's going to help you. Yeah, I always love the minor league guys where the pitcher's got like a six ERA, and he's like, ah, but if he had like major league defenders behind him, that'd be like a four five ERA <laughs> or something like that. So there are all sorts of factors that come into play with this stuff. I think that's why anytime you're you're discussing stats, you always uh, you know, ask a coach specifically about how they think a player's doing. Uh, that sort of gives you a, a better picture of like the stats plus the thoughts from the coaching staff about how a guy's playing gives you the the entire scope of what what's actually going on. Right, right. How would you grade the offense overall? A letter grade? I'd give him a B. Yeah, you know, this is probably grading on a curve. I mean, obviously, you go into the season, you're not quite sure what's going to happen, but. First-time starter quarterback, uh, you know, a couple first-time starters on the right side of the line. Uh, you lose a guy as valuable as Sam Rogers that did all the things that he did. You have young receivers stepping up into that situation. I, I think the fact that they're uh, producing the way that they've produced so far is, is pretty good. Uh, so, you know, positive results so far on that side of the ball, I, I'd give him a B. I'm going to go with F+. Plus. <laughs> Aaron's the worst college grade. He's the worst yeah. professor you ever had in grading. No, I, A minus is very similar to B plus. So I'm going to go A minus because I think you know my expectations were okay. How much is the system going to carry this carry this team through here? You know, how much can you plug and play with new guys and and have it work? And they've put up some nice numbers against some overmatched opponents. Uh, it'll be interesting to see when they play these coastal teams that have good defenses, how they do. But so far, so good, I'd say, for the offense. How about defense on your, on your thoughts? Let's go with another B. I mean, I think that's uh, indicating that they've played pretty well, but also indicating that they haven't played their absolute best. I think the Clemson game exposed a little bit of uh, cracks in the in the defense in terms of stopping a running quarterback, which has been an issue for a while. Uh, yeah, there, were, there were plays where they just had him, and he escaped and got down the field. Uh, I think they've been pretty good at you know stopping the run. They gave up some yards in that West Virginia game against the other offense that was pr- really good that they faced this year, but they didn't let them get the end zone. Uh, you know there there have been some some issues with busts here and there, but overall I think it's been a very solid defensive group. They have a couple shutouts this season. You know that's rare. You don't get that all the time. They have guys playing at a high level in all three levels of the defense. So uh, you know I would say overall I give it a B. There's room for improvement. Speaking of busts, we watched Naked Gun two and a half the other day. She goes, "Is this some sort of bust?" Yes, it's very impressive, but uh, Hannah didn't know what that meant, which was great. I'm glad my daughter didn't know. She didn't get it out of context in the. Uh... <laughs> yes, it's very. Impressive. Did she I, laugh because you laughed at that? I just I miss Leslie Nielsen so bad. That's true. That was a big loss. Do you want to do you want to grade special teams as well? Do we want to do? Well, a special I didn't give my F plus for the defense. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'll go B two. That's fine. Yeah, everything you said, I agree. I agree. Uh, special teams, yeah. Let's, uh, let's MVP. Uh, sure. I'll let you go first here. Uh, let's see if you okay. pick the guy that's obvious. I'm gonna go down under, 
Oh, and okay. find a guy who's boomeranged to the top. That's good, but you've chosen the wrong person. But okay, I'll let you maybe I'm not. Th- maybe Strowman's the guy you're thinking of. But yes, I, it's absolutely well, Greg Strowman. Well, what are you talking well, about? Well, show me Brad Burns' uh, punting average, please. I'd like to see that. 43-8. Okay, that's pretty good. I mean, we didn't know anything about this guy other than his Australian heritage. His I mean, Australian-ness. And his, his discussion of rubbers and everything else that was hilarious, but... Uh, how could he kick the ball? How would he fare in American football? Well, he's fared pretty well. Um, that opens it up for you to give it to Stroman. Go ahead. It's got to be Stroman. He's averaging 10.1 yards on on punts. Every time he touches it, he's a threat to go the distance. Uh, you know, If not for a couple block in the back penalties against BC, he would have had a much better average in that game. He did take one back uh, to the house. Who was that against? Was that against? Was that ECU? Or Del- I think that was Delaware. I think Delaware had 10 players on the field and they returned it for a touchdown. If you're an FCS team, probably put the proper number of players on the field. Uh, yeah, so that that was the, the the big play that he had. I just think that he brings so much comfort to that punt return position uh, that uh, whenever he touches it, good things are probably going to happen for your punt return team. Well, my problem with Stroman is he's American and he doesn't have my qualifications <laughs> for okay. – uh, moving on, we need some the number of people that just turned <laughs> off the podcast at this point of it. It's probably I wish we could get some metrics on that. Of where exactly it just dropped off? But would you give a B, another B for the uh, letter grade, or yeah, would you I go think A here. I go B. You know, Joey Sly struggles yeah. so far this season. You can't deny that. Every other phase of the game has been pretty good. We should probably talk about. I was going to say we didn't even mention Sly. Yeah. I didn't have him on the sheet. We should. Yeah, yeah uh, you know, broke that scoring mark. You know, he's pretty candid afterwards about you know he's, he's glad to stop talking about it. I wonder if that seeped into his head at all this year. Uh, you know, talking about he's pretty good in front of the media. He knows how to handle an interview, but when you keep talking about these records, these all-time records you're supposed to break, first it was the field goal record, then it was the scoring record, I'm sure it's got to be in the back of your mind, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, I I think I remember, uh, what was it, Rafael Palmero when he was going after Homer number 500 or whatever it was in his career, and they had this big banner in the outfield. And, and like, I remember the, the Sports uh, Illustrated article about that. Like, the lead was that damn banner wasn't helping. Like, <laughs> it was in the background of everything that he did, it was in the background of his mind. I wonder if, you know, that uh, that was an issue for Sly at all earlier in the season. Because, like we said, it's not like he's missing by a lot. They were, you know, slight misses, pushing it right here and there. He didn't necessarily have long field goals that he had to make against BC, but he made them. They were straight. They were true. Uh, you know, I think maybe now that he's put that record that he's chasing behind him and all the attention that kind of comes with that, I, I wonder if he'll just be able to, to focus straight on kicking now and not have to uh, have anything else in his mind about that. Maybe that that's uh, a positive for him going forward. I really enjoy listening to Sly talk. I mean, he's very honest. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's really – We've talked to him more. Jack, too. Oh, yeah. Kicker, man. He's well, he's – He's only failed to get a touchback like three or four times this year, and I think on two or three of them, he's made the tackle as well. Like he's yeah. down there, he's got his nose in the pile. It's not like he's, you know, the last resort or something like that. He's flying down the field trying to make a play. So I wonder what Fuente thinks about that. I think he's okay with it as long as he doesn't injure himself. Yeah, I, well, I guess, I guess I mean. that would be the concern. But, uh, you know, I think back historically about how often you talk to kickers and it's usually just after either they've made a big kick to win a game or missed a big kick to win a game. We, we talk to Joey Sly on the regular, like all the time, it seems like just cause he's a good spokesman for the team. And you know, he's, he's doing all sorts of great stuff off the field with his 
uh, you know, fundraising for leukemia research and stuff like that. It's just, it's just a good guy to have on the team and talk to. Yeah, and he's a he's a true football player. You know, a lot of times those those kickers get sequestered from the rush of the team because they're not considered football players. But you could you could put him in for a couple plays at linebacker, and he'll hold his own. I think. You know, outside linebacker, you know. Yeah, I think so. He's he's got the against Delaware. He's, he's got the guns to do it. Let's yeah. put it that way. He's got some pretty I'm big arms. Only by guns. That's, that's, <laughs> only by the gun show. That's we, it. We need some music, I think, to to get into your poll. Like we need to steal from the podcast and take that that young lady who sings the meaningless thing song or whatever. But um, we don't have music. Are you trying to say this is a meaningless thing? Well, no, the, no. There's about? no real transition to like. Oh, let's get to your polls. Um, but I guess that's the transition. Let's get to your polls. Andy, what is the, who are the movers and shakers this week in the top 25? You know, you're, you're a top 25. I think I'm looking at this right now and I might, I pulled up last week, so I'm not sure. I got to find out, uh, find the exact one. I'm trying to think just off the top of my head who moved a lot. You know, I, I moved TCU up to number four. Uh, they had another big win this weekend, beat West Virginia that, that I kept in the polls. Uh, you know, I moved them past Penn State right now because Penn State's just – they haven't played anybody. Like, they're still a really good team. They're winning these games that they should, but they just really haven't played anybody. Uh, so, you know, they'll have their opportunity here in a couple weeks against Ohio State to, to show really how good they are. But, you know, just based on resume right now, I have Georgia 3. I have TCU 4 just because they've played some better teams and look good doing it. Uh, Oklahoma was a, a challenge this week. Uh, I didn't quite know what to do with them. They have the worst loss of any team in the top 20, essentially. You know, they lose to Iowa State. They were 31-point favorites in that game. They also have the best win of anybody that high in the poll. I mean, they beat Ohio State, which I had, think I had ninth or 10th uh, in my poll. So, you know, I have them behind Ohio State, which seems sort of, uh, you know, like the logic doesn't make sense there, but they have such a bad loss there that I, I couldn't quite keep them in that top 10, which is where I have Ohio State right now. So I think I had them at 12th uh, in the poll. Other big uh, team that dropped was Michigan. I had them 7th last week. Uh, I moved them down to 22nd, I believe. Uh, that was mostly to accommodate Michigan State being ahead of them by one spot because I like to take the head-to-head into account when the resumes are essentially even. Uh, the Ohio State Oklahoma ones weren't essentially even, so that didn't really come into play in that situation. I think it definitely did with Michigan and Michigan State, uh, essentially, especially because Michigan State just beat them on the road. I know the weather conditions weren't great. I had little questions about Michigan coming into that game. I think I might have had them overranked a little bit. Uh, Hokies, I had them at 15th, moved them up one spot. They're still ahead of Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame uh, has a little bit better chance for upward mobility. They're playing USC. Uh, NC State coming up. So we'll see how they do in those games. Uh, that could be something that, that maybe the Irish jump ahead of the Hokies there. What did I tell you about the Buckeyes heading over on the T train to Chestnut Hill? I said, I, I don't like the Terps. I love the Terps. Plus 30. <laughs> and they were like down like 17 nothing by the time you finished that sentence. <laughs> by the time I finished that sentence, there had been a pick six, and I think it was 14 nothing. Yeah, that was uh, that was not good. It, it was not a good weekend for my handicapping. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think we should talk – since we we don't have a tech game to to predict, uh, okay, you're pulling up your your anything you want to add? Yeah, you just pulled up the correct one. You know, here. I got Miami at ninth. Uh, they're ahead of Ohio State right now. That was a pretty good win last week to get that monkey off their back, but it's it's still not the Florida State that they beat. It's a, sort of a shell of a Florida State team lately. 
Uh, I'd like to see. I'm really curious how Miami does against Georgia Tech this week. I think Georgia Tech's got a shot to beat them, especially since you know Mark Walton is out for the year. They're their best running back. I don't think they have a lot of running backs behind him, or at least not a lot of proven guys. Uh, you know, Georgia Tech is just they're. You know, I said the Yellow Jackets are a pest. You know, they're tough to play. They go down there, they play their game. They don't really have superstars or anything like that. And I think that's why they get overlooked all the time. But, you know, if you're not ready on a given day, that option offense can make you look like a high school team trying to defend it. So I'm really curious how that game's going to go because I think Georgia Tech is is right there in the mix with Virginia Tech and Miami in the, in the Coastal. Well, yeah, I was just looking for the line, um, and it looks like it's off the board right now because of the running back news. But I think it was like 11. Original. I thought it was like ten and a half, and I thought I saw somebody say six and a half yesterday. So I, I don't, I don't know exactly. Realistic. Yeah, that's why I thought ten and a half sounded ridiculously high. So uh, I, I'd say it's at least within a touchdown. It, it would have to be because you don't give Miami that much home field advantage. You know, it's not like that place really rocks. Um, although they may actually have a nice crowd for this game. It's a, it's a big game. You always have to wonder how the Hurricanes are going to play the week after that Florida State game. Like right. I realize in the past they've had they've gone into a funk mostly because they lose that game and then they're just so deflated after that. I'm curious how they handle the success of winning a game like that because you get up for that game so much and it's so exciting that the next week everything is probably going to pale in comparison to that. So, uh, you know, Georgia Tech coming off a bye too. You know, emotional game for Miami in a win. Georgia Tech coming off a bye. Not that great of a home field advantage. I think it's going to be a very close game. Yeah, it's a statement game either way it goes. Whoever wins it, it's a it's a big statement in the Coastal Division. Uh, with Tech being off, I get to see Virginia for the first time live since the opener. Um, go going to go down with uh, Mr. Dowdy and, and see them play in Chapel Hill. Virginia, we had this discussion late uh, on Saturday night as we were wrapping up our work. Uh, would Virginia be a favorite against uh, UNC? And I think you and Norm would. Or actually, Norm said he agreed with me. I thought I thought UNC would still be a slight favorite just because of uh, you know the the, the respect that uh, the, the lack of respect I guess Virginia has, has gotten over the years, recent years from Vegas. That line is three and a half in favor of the Cavaliers. I think that speaks not only to you know the Cavaliers showing some certainly better form, but just what you mentioned earlier about UNC. What is going on with UNC? Well, they lost the number two pick in the draft. Who was 3-2 at halftime against your Vikings. Yeah, well, it's his first career start against a pretty good Vikings defense. Also, did you see the two-point conversion play that the Bears did? Did you see any of it? You know, if the if the baseball's postseason is going on, I'm not. Okay, well, this was this was NFL all over. Football. This was all over Twitter. It was the coolest two-point conversion play in the history of football. They snapped it to Trubisky, who handed it off to a player going a running back going to his right, who flipped it to a tight end coming back across the field, who then lateraled it to Mitch Trubisky out wide on an option play, who just walked into the end zone and nobody even touched it. It was the, it was the best designed two-point conversion play in the history of football. I would love to see someone literally waltz into the end zone. He did. He did a little dance. Okay. He did the Charleston, and then he went across. He did a, a full-on waltz across the end zone. That was the highlight of the offensively for the Bears. Uh, they had another touchdown where, like, Trubisky threw it into coverage and got tipped in the end zone. They had another touchdown on a fake punt where the punter threw a touchdown. Uh, where was I? Trubisky was a pretty good college player. They lost, they lost him. They lost like their top four receivers. They lost their top running back. They lost some top, uh, NFL caliber offensive linemen. I mean, they lost everything on that offense. It's a really young group right now. Uh, and like we mentioned before, they don't have the defense to make up for the fact that that offense isn't performing that well. So you put all that together, uh, you know, one in five is maybe a little surprising, but 
you know, best case scenario, I thought that they would at the best at this point be three and three. So uh, really interesting matchup. I'll be honest, when we were talking about that line, I thought this game was in Charlottesville. So that factored in my oh, mind. Oh, did it? Okay. Um, yeah, and Charlottesville definitely favored. Yeah. Uh, you know, road favorites, that's maybe a little more iffy. But the way UNC is playing right now and the way UVA is playing right now, I totally understand it. And would you lay the three and a half? I don't know about that. I think it'd be it could be a close game. Just the way they're playing right now, I think I would take UVA in that. Well, I think I would too. I'll be back. I mean, I'll be there to see it live, and I'll be back with tales of travel and and majesty. But I'm sure you'll be watching at home, right? I mean, a 3:30 game, or you got you got plans on. Well, Saturday. it depends on what time that Georgia Tech Miami game is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but you realize UVA could be seven and one, and four and zero in the ACC. They play UNC. BC and Pittsburgh, and all three of those teams have looked terrible this year, and the UVA's looked pretty good. I mean, that's what it can be. And then after that, they play Georgia Tech, Louisville, Miami, and Virginia Tech. Uh, so it, it could all fall apart in November, but right now you look at that and you go, I mean, UVA could be bowl eligible in two weeks. Yeah. And that would be, even if they end up 7-5 and five or, or something like that at the end of the season, the fact that they could get to that point after back-to-back, what, 2-10 and ten seasons, I think? Yeah. That's a remarkable step forward for for Bronco Mendenhall. Yeah, and good for them, man. I, I've often said, I mean, this, is, this state is so much more fun when both teams are good. Uh, you know, the end of the year is a lot more exciting. It's just it's just a much better scenario when when both teams are up. And we went through a little spell there where both teams were kind of down. Um, so you didn't have anything that was really getting the Commonwealth going every weekend. So. Good for Virginia to get get something rolling, and we'll see if they can keep it going. We'll be back next week to break down the UNC-Virginia Tech matchup, and maybe we'll also come up with some little colorful things, too, as we re- as we get ready for the coastal chase. We'll here. do the second half uh, betting lines. You know how you can do mid-game betting lines. Yeah, we like we can go revisit our, our early season stuff and kind of chase a little bit because some of our picks have been so bad. I like that. Yeah, we'll get creative. Okay, well, that's all for this week. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarling. We will see you next time.